Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Heard Tell. Uh, it's Heard Tell Show. It's a Tuesday, May the 17th, year of our Lord 2022. So glad you're with us. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Heard Tell. A lot of noise out there. We're going to try to turn down a little bit of it. Uh, one place that's not noisy in Russia, their media domination of what is actually happening in Ukraine continues, but there's starting to be some cracks in it. Some of the failures of the Russian military starting to seep through. We will cover that story in a little bit. Also, uh, we're going to end on a great note, a community that is wounded, that is healing, that is grieving in Buffalo, where we're going to cover what they're doing to come together in ways that you can directly affect and donate to that community after the horrendous racially motivated shooting in Buffalo. Also on the program today, uh, we are talking to our good friend, Michael Siegel. Uh, normally, we bring him on to talk science, and we're going to do that because he's all excited about finding out what's at the center of the universe. He's also a resident of Pennsylvania. Their primary is today. So he's going to talk a little bit about the primary races, both the governor race that has kind of flown under the radar because of the circus atmosphere of the Senate race. He'll discuss both of those, plus that amazing black hole that they have discovered and the imagery thereof. He is a expert on space stuff to the point that he actually interrupted this interview to send commands up to the spaceship that he controls. We'll talk to our good friend, Dr. Michael Siegel in just a little bit. One of the talks we talked on one of those Senate races, uh, John Fetterman, Lieutenant governor and Senate candidate suffered a stroke. He's not the only one. Another Senator had a stroke like scare over the weekend. We'll talk about that as well, but first uh, let's talk about how not to talk about certain issues. We're going to go over to the UK but this happens in America, too. I suspect it happens in other countries. Um, the way you say things, ask anybody, ask your children, ask your significant other. How you say things matters almost as much as what you're saying. And in the cultural and political realm, it usually matters more because people want to hear things a certain way. They don't want to be talked to certain other ways. Uh, this is from Sky News. Um, a government minister has suggested that people struggling with the cost of living could take on more hours or move to a better paid job. Rachel McLean, the safeguarding minister, safeguarding minister, just stew on that for a second, told Sky News's Kay Burley that those were some of the ways households could, quote, protect themselves as prices soar. Now, the UK is having the same inflation problems we are, and we're going to give you an example of how not to talk about it if you're sitting office holder, politician, commentator, or just want to be a decent human being. Ms. McLean said that every minister was looking at the issue as consumers face short-term pressures such as high energy and food bills and added there was more help coming. So far, so good. And then it all went 
so terribly, terribly wrong. She added, quote, over the long term, we need to have a plan to grow the economy and make sure that people are able to protect themselves better, whether that's by taking on more hours or moving to a better paid job. And these are long term actions, but that's what we're focused on as a government. Oh, boy. No, no, folks can't just move to a better paying job. No, they can't just take on more hours. How out of touch and tone deaf can you get, whether you're in the UK, the US, or the United States of Hippopotamus? That's never going to go off right. It's never going to come across right. It's going to sound condescending out of touch because it's condescending and out of touch. If people could just snap their fingers, mount their magical unicorn, and ride over to the better paying jobs, they would. But that's not how this economy is currently working. Yes, there's a labor shortage and people are having some options, which means they're leaving poor job environments or lesser paying jobs because they can get other ones because of the competitive environment. But even at that, that's not how you say that. You don't tell the plebes to just go get better paying jobs. And you sure as hell don't take people who are already working hard, who are already at their limit, who just went through two years of COVID, who are in an uncertain environment, who are in an election year where they're getting bombarded on all sides about what they should think, feel, and want to do when they get to the ballot box to just go work more hours. The people that work more hours and work on an hourly wage already know exactly how many hours they work. They know how many hours they need to work, and they know how many hours they want to work. And many of them can't get the hours that they want, or they have too many and it fries them out and they're not able to work effectively. This is just tone death idiocy from somebody who ought to know better. And whether it's in the UK or the US, we can point to other examples of this. This is very close to let them eat cake. We hear over and over again, well, they just need to work harder. Well, they just need to find a job. Well, they just need to put in more hours. Well, maybe they could find a better job. You can't snap your fingers and do things like that. You have to meet people where they are. Are they in an environment or in a place in a piece I have coming out shortly where I did some research into the economics of that area? The average drive time for people who were working was over 31 minutes. That factors into things. Is it worth them to drive 31 minutes for a minimum wage job? How much of a job do they have to get to make that drive not only feasible financially, but worth their while? There's a lot of factors that go into things like the job shortage, like the financial crisis we're about to go through. Inflation is a tax on everybody, but it's especially a tax on the poorest among us because their dollar stretches the least. And now it's got to go even further. And then you start putting certain supply chain issues on top of it and you have a recipe for disaster. And for a poll or a commentator or frankly anybody else to open up their line of inquiry and their analysis of the situation with just go get a better paying job or just work more hours is always going to make them look stupid, out of touch and heartless. And it kind of is. You can't stop for a minute and understand that people who are working in an environment where we're constantly talking about labor shortages and the eponymous nobody wants to work, the ones that are already working are getting pushed to their limit because of those labor shortages. Good employees keep getting it handed to them and handed to them and handed to them because they're the only ones there. And eventually they reach their breaking point too. Don't tell those people to work more hours. And there's only so much upward mobility certain classes of workers have. Yes, you can try to get them more education. You can try to get them more training. You can do some things policy-wise to open up an environment where they might have more options, but not all of them do. 
I am so sick and tired of unicorn rhetoric like this, the condescending rhetoric. It goes past parties and it goes past ideologies. Don't tell people to just go fix their lives, which is eventually what you're saying. Like it's all their fault. It's not all their fault. These things are nuanced. The job market is complicated. The economy is complicated and it's getting more complicated and less friendly to the workers. So before you open your pie hole, politicians, commentators, writers, talking heads on TV, remember a couple things. If you're talking and or writing words for a living, you are among the very most privileged people in our society. And before you start telling other people to just work harder, remember how good you have it and how privileged you have it. And that them working harder or them trying to get better is going to take a whole lot more than just your wishful thinking. Be mindful, be empathetic, be sympathetic, and above all, try to be a better human being because telling people to just do better when they can't is one of the cruelest things you can possibly do. More Heard Tell right after this. Welcome back to Heard Tell. Uh, over in Russia, the bubble of information that the Kremlin has tried so very hard to maintain about their horrible war that they have fostered upon Ukraine and the people where they're murdering civilians and leveling cities, and they are losing large chunks of their army doing so out of mostly their own incompetence and the bravery of the Ukrainian defenders. Uh, the destruction that has been going on uh, there around the Donets, this is a river crossing where just it would be comically inept if it didn't involve such a massive loss of life. The Russian battalions trying to cross a river bunched their forces up and basically became fish in a barrel. Uh, this is breaking through the information bubble. You have Russian bloggers and Russian media that have to cover this now because it's such a disaster. This is from the New York Times um, reading the destruction wrecked on a Russian battalion as it tried to cross a river in northeastern Ukraine last week is emerging as among the deadliest engagements of the war with estimates based on publicly available evidence now suggesting that well over 400 Russian soldiers were killed or wounded. I've been keeping quiet for a long time, Yuri Padolka, a war blogger with 2.1 million followers on Telegram, said in a video post on Friday night, saying that he had avoided criticizing the Russian military until now. Quote, the last straw that overwhelmed my patience was the events around Bilirakova. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing this wrong. I'm sorry, I'm not up to date on my Slavic. Where due to stupidity, I emphasize because of the stupidity of the Russian command, at least one battalion tactical group was burned, possibly two. Mr. Podolka ridiculed the Kremlin line that the war is going, quote, according to plan. He told his viewers in a five minute video that, in fact, the Russian army was short of functional unmanned drones, night vision equipment and other kit, quote, that is catastrophically lacking on the front. This is what's starting to seep through in Russia, despite the almost total media blackout of anything that is not positive. Uh, there is reports from the UK Ministry of Defense that Russia has now lost almost a third of the forces it has committed to Ukraine. The war is not going well. It is not winnable. Ukraine's going to win this. It's a matter of when, under what terms, and how much Russia wants to bleed before they admit that they aren't going to succeed here. 
By the way, one other little note with the NATO expansion with Sweden and Finland looking like it's a foregone conclusion. Let's review something real quick. All the folks that wanted to blame Ukraine wanting to join NATO as some kind of an excuse for Russia to invade them, kill civilians, level cities and wreck mayhem. That's a ridiculous thing. No, trying to join NATO was not grounds for Russia to invade them. Ask yourself a question. If Russia was so innocent, why does all these other nations, especially ones like Sweden, who want to be uh, neutral for years and years and years, and Finland, who have been over backwards trying to keep the peace with the Russians, all of a sudden wanting to join NATO? It's not because NATO's this bad thing threatening Russia. It's because Russia's this very bad thing that is threatening all of them. I've about had it with the Russian apologists. Yes, there's some things that NATO doesn't do great. Yes, you could probably say they've made some mistakes toward Russia. Russia is solely responsible for invading Ukraine. There's no excuse for them invading Ukraine. There's no excuse for their war crimes and crimes against humanity against the Ukrainian people. There is no reason whatsoever for Russia to have invaded Ukraine. I said it again for the emphasis because there seems to be some folks in the back that are a little slow of hearing and slow of thought to get that through their thick skull. No, Russia was not justified in invading Ukraine for any reason whatsoever. This idiotic idea that Ukraine had this coming has been put to the lie by all these other countries needing to protect themselves from Russia because they've exposed themselves for exactly what they are, for what, for what Vladimir Putin is heading up Russia, a bloodthirsty dictator who wants territory and doesn't care who he has to kill to get it. So sorry, Russian apologists, your theory doesn't hold water. And the Swedes and the Finns are proving it with their voting and their feet and their military arms, throwing in their lot with NATO to protect themselves from the evil of our time. Vladimir Putin, more her tell right after this. Tell show. Okay, the streak continues. The most appearances by any one guest in the history of the Herd Tell program, which goes all the way back to last fall. <laughs> Michael Siegel, that's Dr. Michael Siegel to you. Usually we have him on to talk science, and we are going to do that later on in our conversation, but we're actually going to start out with some politics because happens to be one of the hot primaries, one of the most watched primaries in your backyard, the great state and Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, my friend. How are you and are you surviving the primary season? I'm doing well. I'm surviving the primary season mainly by uh, sticking to the oldie station and turning off the TV. Now, you would think people would advertise on the oldie station because that's a, that's a demographic. Old people vote. People that like, you know, the four tops and spinners, they're still out there. They can still go punch a ticket. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of where I got into this, that there were there, there was a, a rare political ad that was actually an anti-Mastriano ad, and I started looking into it, and the claims in the ad were kind of misleading, but the more I got into researching Mastriano, the more concerned I got that he's uh, currently leading the polls. Yeah, so normally we have you on, we talk science, we talk culture. Um, you've been kind of our go-to doing the yeoman's work on the COVID stuff, not only because of you, but because 
your wonderful and talented wife has a deep knowledge area in this. So you've just been carrying the ball for ordinary dash times on a lot of things, but you're going to talk a little politics today because you are a man of many parts and many talents and you're just that smart. Uh, so before we get back to you flying your spacecraft and so forth, let's talk about this Pennsylvania political thing. You actually wrote ordinary-times.com, Doug Mastriano. I'm trying to think. I think this is the first time you've wrote a political piece on one particular individual that I remember. Um, let's start with just the billboard on him because, and you opened the piece this way, on paper, he looks like a pretty solid, normal run-of-the-mill candidate. And then you start scratching the surface, or more importantly, he starts opening his mouth and talking. Yeah. Um, so we have Tom Wolf, our former governor, is uh, is leaving office this year, and so we have a, a open seat. Um, the likely Democratic nominee has been settled for a while. That's uh, Josh Shapiro. He's the current uh, Attorney General, um, and he's pretty much down the line, left of center, Dem. Uh, sort of imagine Joe Biden, but uh, who can keep his mouth under control and keeps kosher as well. Um, you know, very law and order type but does favor legalized pot. Um, he was part of the Hail Mary suit, um, defending Pennsylvania against the lawsuits that were brought by the other states to force reconsideration of the votes in other states. Um, hit uh, something that was important to me, which was there was a specious statistical argument used in the lawsuit that the chance that Trump lost the election was one in quadrillion. And it was obviously garbage, but kind of tricky to explain. And he explained it pretty well. Um, and has forced a couple of Democrat reps actually to resign from the legislature for corruption issues. And he's got the domination log locked down and uh, he the election should be uh, as we're recording this tomorrow and he should have that locked up. The Republican side, though, is a lot more open. Uh, the main candidate for a while was Lou Barletta. He has most of the major endorsements. Um, he was born and raised in Hazleton, PA, was a mayor and then a representative. He's fairly moderate on most issues. I mean, is towing the Trump line on elections and stuff like that, but is you know pretty much a standard Republican. And you also have William McSwain, who searched for a while. Uh, he was a U.S. attorney appointed by Trump, but he's been fading in the polls. And he chased Trump's endorsement, but Trump wouldn't give it to him because he said he was a coward for not pursuing fraud charges while he was USA. But uh, the surging to the head of the polls now, and now leading by about 10 points, is Doug Mastriano. And like I said in the piece, on paper, you know, he's a veteran of two wars. He's an author of history books. You know, he's he was only been in politics a few years. So it's kind of the sort of person who would appeal to people. But the more you look at him, the more concerned you get. Um, there are he has been cleaning up his social media presence, but there were uh, anti-Islam posts. There were QAnon posts. Um various accusations. There was a New Yorker piece about a year ago that said he was aligning with Christian nationalist elements. He denies that uh, very fiercely, but uh, that's still a point of contention. Um, he was came under heavy criticism last year because he organized six buses of his supporters to go to the Capitol to protest the on January 6th, to protest the vote. Now, he said he left when the violence began. There's video showing him still there. Um, so it's there's a little bit of contention over that. And some people said he should have been kicked out of the legislature. That obviously didn't happen. And uh, he was one of the biggest people who was organizing that effort to have um, po Republican politicians meet in Gettysburg with Rudy Giuliani and try to override the will of the voters and appoint a slate of Republican electors to vote for Donald Trump in January of 20, 
21. And so that's uh, caused a lot of controversy. Um, he's also a COVID-19 skeptic. At first, he wanted the to suspend HIPAA so that people who had COVID-19, their names would be known so that, and that was that he's been hit on that. But he then became a down the line skeptic opposing vaccine mandates, opposing mask mandates, that sort of thing. And if you look at his endorsements, it's kind of a who's who of conspiracy theorists. It's Mike Lindell, um, Donald Trump, obviously, um, Rudy Giuliani, um, Mike Flynn. You know, this is and I think more people are getting concerned and the Republican establishment is concerned about him, but they've kind of responded a little too late. Um, a few candidates dropped out, but there's not enough to overcome this. And one of the problems here is that Pennsylvania, you can get a nomination with the plurality. And so if he wins 25, 30% of the electorate, he'll be the nominee, even though most people are opposed to them. Now, I talked to our mutual friend, Joseph Zemanski about this. And you know, he pointed out that the undecideds are still kind of large in this race, but I think it's now gotten to the point where the undecideds are almost not enough to overcome the advantage. So I think it's quite likely that Mastriano will be the Republican nominee. And if that happens, then we have someone in the governor's office with a almost certainly Republican legislature who has said that he would basically override the will of the voters uh, if the election was close and he thinks there's fraud. Yeah, and Joe Zemanski, our friend, we're going to have him on later in the week after the primaries for this Tuesday. Uh, he's from Pennsylvania, so this is his baby of a race to pay attention to. He knows what he's talking about. Why do you think it is? Because you live there, you're plugged in there, you teach at university there. Um, nationally, the Senate race is getting way more attention because obviously, you know, with the House pretty much probably gone at this point for the Democratic Party, the Senate's where the fight is to see if they can hold on to the Senate. Um, but locally, statewide, is the governor's race getting the kind of juice and attention the Senate race and the congressional races are? Or uh, what is, is it Tom Wolf uh, fatigue just because he's kind of been the governor for a while and it's an open seat? Why do you think the governor's race isn't getting as much attention as those other races? Or is it and we're just not seeing it nationally? I, I think um, it's only recently that it that it got that kind of attention. I think most people assumed it would be Barletta versus Shapiro, who are both pretty mainstream candidates, and uh, and you know Shapiro might have the edge a little bit. But this is a very purple state. Depending on how the Democrats do nationally, that could flip things. Um, I think that the surge of Mastriano towards the front of the pack uh, has really suddenly drawn attention to this race that is very, very important, not just for the people of Pennsylvania, but um, for national implications as well. I got to ask you this question. And I, and I look, I, I'm asking this as a, <laughs> as a point of order, not because I know, don't know the answer. At what point do we have to say a Mastriano is kind of more of a mainstream Republican? Because this is not an insignificant lead he has. This is not out of the realm of other races, Senate and governor races that we're seeing of people who say basically the same things he says. He's backed by Trump. The Trump endorsement here cannot be overstated. This isn't an isolated incident. At some point, we got to be like, look, this is a big chunk of the Republican Party. This is not I don't know if we call it mainstream, but it sure as heck ain't abnormal anymore. No, I don't think so. I mean, he's getting 25, 30 percent of the polls. That's not, you know, a fringe candidate. I, I do think if uh, you had a runoff election here or you had to get a majority that it's likely that he would not get it, that the rest of the Republican Party would unite behind another candidate, most likely Barletta. But 
if you can have a very vocal plurality in a political party, you can control that party. I mean, we've seen that. I mean, it's not just a recent phenomenon. We've seen that over and over again through American history, but a very motivated plurality can dominate politics in a way that a divided majority can't. Yeah. And there's no runoff again in Pennsylvania, like they are in some of these other really close Senate races like North Carolina, like other places. Okay, let's talk about that Senate race for just a second, because this is one of the most bonkers wide open Senate races I can ever remember. Usually it's one side or the other side's wide open. Man, both sides are wide open. Uh, Let's deal with one uh, breaking story. Uh, Fetterman, the lieutenant governor, apparently suffered a stroke over the weekend. First and foremost, we just hope his health is where it sounds like they were able to do the clot busting drug and he will be okay pretty quickly, but still very scary stuff there. But that's just the latest in a long string of really crazy stuff that is happening in the Senate race. You're actually there. You're seeing the TV commercials when you're not listening to oldies radio. Uh, where Where's this race at for the local folks like you in Pennsylvania? Because nationally looking in, this thing looks like just a crazy turn. Well, the, the, Fetterman's going to win the Democratic nomination. I'm pretty it's pretty clear. He has a huge lead in the polls. Uh, he's popular with the base. You know, he's uh, he's kind of the opposite of Shapiro or McCormick, who will be probably be, who's running for the Republican nomination. He dresses casually. He wears sweats. He, you know, wants to has been talking about legalized pot. He's very famous for having a big beard and fighting with Republicans on Twitter over the election. Um, I think he's almost certainly going to win the nomination tomorrow, barring any disaster. Um, like you said, he did have a stroke. The It does seem like it was caught early. Um, his wife noticed he wasn't doing too well. He was having AFib and uh, that caused a stroke, but we'll see how that goes uh, for the for the general. The Republican side, though, is very divided. I mean, you have McCormick, who was raised in Pennsylvania, veteran of the Gulf War, served in the Bush administration, very mainstream Republican, one of the few to say he holds Trump responsible for what happened on January 6th, which, of course, was the reason he never got an endorsement. Um, Dr. Oz has been sucking all the air out of the room. And I think you asked why the governor's race isn't getting that much attention. I think because Oz has been getting all the attention. He's a celebrity. He's been endorsed by Trump. He's actually has a slight lead in the polls right now. And if I were a betting man, I would bet that he wins the Republican nomination. I don't think McCormick's support is strong enough to overcome that Trump endorsement. The big news recently has been the surge of Kathy Barnett to the front of the pack. And she's been running for a year but uh, she's a talk show host on a, on a Christian radio station, commentator, um, was very critical of Trump four years ago, but is now a full Trump supporter. Um, she's gotten a lot of criticism lately because they've dug up some anti-Muslim and LGBT tweets, but she denies having said it or say it was out of context and so forth. Her, the only endorsement she had up until this point was Mike Flynn. Um, but Trump has said that she'd never win an election. If she did, she would be, I think, the first black Republican woman in the Senate. Um, so that's interesting, but she's really in the last two weeks, come on, a couple of weeks, come on strong. She's got an infusion of money from some people and, uh, is really running a very aggressive campaign. And that's kind of put some panic into the Republican party because Oz, you know, even with the Trump endorsement, the feeling is that he wouldn't be too far out of the mainstream. Um, and he's got some wacky medical ideas, but I think politically he'd fall in line with most of the Republican party, wherever they're going at that moment. Uh, McCormick obviously is a very mainstream Republican. Fetterman's very much a wild card. So, uh, not Fetterman, uh, Barnett is very much a wild card. So nobody really knows what she do. And the perception is that she has too many liabilities to be to win a close race. This is the open seat that Pat Toomey is leaving. Um, Toomey 
did endorse someone early, but his endorsement carries no weight in this state because he voted for to impeach Donald Trump. So uh, he's sort of persona non grata among the Republican base. Um, Barnett, it should be noted, is getting heavily attacked by the Trump people. Uh, yep. Very, It's getting really ugly, quite frankly, uh, especially over the weekend. They're calling into question her military service. They're bringing up all sorts of things. Uh, that's that's going to get ugly right on down to the wire on this. Let me just ask you, because I'll give you my opinion. I'm not in Pennsylvania. I'm not voting on this race. Uh, Oz is a complete non-starter with me because of his deep, well-documented ties with uh, Erdogan and Turkey. Um, is that playing locally? I know the uh, Oz people are trying to deflect that, but now there's news out that he voted in a Turkish election as recently as 2018. Is this something at the end of the race that might start swaying it? Because he's not up by all that much. couple swing points, and there's quite a lot of undecided in this race, as our buddy Joe pointed out. I think this is completely unpredictable. It's a three-way tie. I mean, Barnett, the problem is her surge was late. She was a fringe candidate up until a few weeks ago. So she's never, no one's ever done the op research on her. So when you read articles, I was reading articles about her this morning, and every article says, she did this according to her website. She was this according to her website. She was that according to her website. They're all going to her website to see what her biography is because no one's actually done any op research on her. And so that's what I think is scaring the Republicans. I, if she wins the nomination, I, they will rally up and back her. I'm, I'm pretty convinced of that. I mean, the only candidate that they've turned on in recent years was Roy Moore. And even that was kind of, you know, shady, a little bit shady at times. But um I, I, if she wins, they will back her, but I'm, I'm not, I think if you have hold my gun to my head and say, make a prediction, I'm going to say it's Oz just because he has the name recognition, but any of these three candidates can win. Nothing would surprise me coming out of this race. Does Oz win the general election? I don't want to make a prediction that way. It's it, the, there is so much yet to happen in politics. It depends on what's going on with inflation. It depends on what's going on with the economy. It depends on what's going on with the Biden administration. I think it's going to be close enough that that you could call it, call it a toss up. And I think most the last time I checked, most of the uh, sites had it as a as a toss up. I think it's going to be a very crazy race if it's Fetterman versus Oz, because you're talking about two very outsized personalities uh, that have. Uh, a lot of stuff people can go after. Yeah, and it's one of the rare seats that the Democrats think they can get in the Senate, so it's going to be all hands to the pump trying to win that race. All oh, right, yeah. I'm expecting by November, this is going to be between the governor's race and the Senate race. This is going to be the center of a lot of national tension. Yeah, I agree with you. This and Georgia are the two I've been saying from the beginning. Those are going to be kind of the the watermarks on where we're going with this stuff. All right. That was Michael Siegel, Pennsylvania resident. When we come back from the break, we're going to go to Dr. Michael Siegel, flyer of spacecraft and knower of astrological things, because he's just beside himself giddy with one of the biggest uh, scientific discoveries in quite some time. I'll let him explain it. Uh, we may know what's at the middle of the center of the universe. No, it's not our political leaders who all seem to think they are. We actually have some imaging. We'll talk about that with Dr. Michael Siegel when we come back on Hardtail right after this. Now let me see you go off like a bomb. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. 
our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 support your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, in the best of the Star Trek movies, Star Trek V, where they went to the center of the universe and asked God why he needed a starship, uh, Dr. Michael Siegel, we actually got a glimpse at the center of the galaxy here in the last few days. Um, I'm making a little bit of light of it, but this is actually a really, really, really big deal scientifically, and it? it's right over your left shoulder. Uh, it looks like kind of other way. There you go. Military left, my friend. Military left. Um, it, it, it looks like a blurry round image. This is a really big, um, I don't even know, you quantify it for me. How big a deal in science is this? Um, it's a pretty big deal. So the story here is that when radio astronomy was invented a century ago, um, they turned their radio telescopes to the sky and there was something very loud in the direction of Sagittarius, the constellation Sagittarius. And took decades to figure out what it was, but what they figured it out was that they think it's a very massive black hole. Black, most black holes that we deal with in the nearby universe come from stars. Giant stars collapse. They leave behind this core that's so dense that not even light can escape, and that's a black hole. But it turns out almost all galaxies have a supermassive black hole in their core, weighing millions to billions of times the mass of the sun. And these were created in the early universe. Black holes move towards the center of these galaxies, form these massive leviathons. For a long time, they're gobbling up material. They form these massive disks of material swirling into them that are so hot and bright, they can outshine the entire galaxy. But then they mature, they settle down, and they go quiet. Um, ours has been estimated to be about 4 million times the mass of the sun. And when I did my um, senior thesis in college back in the late uh, Triassic, um, I did my it on the Galactic Center, and the, we had indirect evidence that there was a black hole there. And then some scientists measured the motions of stars and seeing how much gravity they were responding to. And uh, this won a Nobel Prize a couple of years ago because they found out that they were orbiting something that was dark, didn't give off a lot of light, but weighed 4 million times the mass of the sun. That can only be a massive black hole. So the new result is that these, this, the Event Horizon Telescope, which is a whole bunch of radio telescopes all over the world, that combine their signals so they can resolve detail as though it were a telescope as big as the planet, uh, image the center of our galaxy. And they see what you see in this image. If you Google it or if you're watching on the video, it's a, like a ring of orange light. That is a accretion disk, a disk of material swirling into the black hole. And so that's you, you, then you see this dark center. That's the shadow of the black hole. It looks like a donut. And in fact, 
in honor of it, uh, Krispy Kreme had a free donut day on Friday, uh, free glazed donut day. And then you see lumps in it from material that's that's being absorbed. And so this is the black holes, while they are very heavy, they're small, almost by definition. If you compress the sun to a black hole, it would be the size of the earth. If you compress the earth to a black hole, it would be the size of a baseball. If you compress me to a black hole, it'd be I'd be the size of an atom. You know, what defines a black hole isn't so much how much mass it has, but how compact it is. And this thing is smaller than the orbit of Venus. And it's 25,000 light years away. And so to resolve that kind of detail is just unbelievable. Now, talk, talk to us in, in ways we can understand here. The theory of all this was we knew there had to be something powerful at the center of the galaxy because, lack of a better way of explaining it, all this stuff is spinning and rotating, so there's got to be a pivot point there somewhere. So yep. the theory behind all this was there has to be something, black hole or otherwise, with enough uh, gravitational force behind it to make all this giant uh, galactic mechanisms work. So we kind of knew what this was. How do we go from that theory to looking at that blurry donut, you call it, and then are you working backwards from the picture to the theory? Are you going from the theory to the donut? Just practically speaking, how do you approach something that is so big uh, theoretically like this? Well, the theory came along a few decades ago when we realized it was something very compact. I mean, we've known, a black, we've known theoretically about black holes for a century. We've been able to detect them by that material swirling. I mean, black holes are black. They don't give off light. But that material swirling into them gives off enormous amounts of light. So we first detected those in the 1960s. And the spacecraft I work with does a lot of studies of black holes uh, this way. But the one in the galactic center was so far away and shrouded in so much dust and gas in between us and the black hole, and just so small that we couldn't you know, see it directly like this. And so that motivated the theory, motivated the observations, but this telescope they've built this collaboration, the Event Horizon Telescope, is just so powerful, it can address issues like this and get us direct images. And by getting these direct images, we understand a lot more about how these accretion disks work, how black holes work, how galaxies are powered, and so forth. So there's, I mean, it's not just a pretty picture, there's enormous amount of confirmation of science coming out of this. There are aspects of the theory of relativity that were confirmed by this image. We can measure how fast, I mean, thing, this, Things around this black hole orbit on the timescale of days to months. So we can actually see things moving around here. And they're hoping with more data, we can actually get a movie showing the material swirling into the black hole. I mean, that's something that before you only saw in bad Disney movies. And now we're going to see it for real. What's the what's the time span we're looking at? Because I know people watched Interstellar and they, they joked about, you know, hey, this maneuver is going to cost us 40 years and this sort of stuff. When you're talking about minute delays and stuff, that what's the actual time you're talking about when you see something swirling around an event horizon like that? Is it that simple? Is it like, oh, well, you go another inch in and that's a year? Or is it really on a simple scale like that? Well, the, the theory of general relativity predicts that gravity slows down time. When, you know, and this is confirmed every day. You have a phone, I have a phone, you have a GPS. The GPS satellites are 20,000 kilometers up they have to correct their clocks because time passes more slowly for us on the surface of the earth than it does 20,000 miles away. So the closer you get to a gravitational force, the slower time runs. 
So that's what in the movie Interstellar they're doing. When they get close to the black hole, time passes much more slowly for them. So back on Earth, 50 years are passing where only minutes are passing for them. And eventually when you get to the event horizon, time stops completely as far as we know. And so, yeah, we see things from our perspectives, our objective perspective happening on minutes or hours timescales near the, the center of the black hole. Whereas if you were there, these would be taking years or even centuries for these events to transpire. It's one of those mind bending concepts that time is not a constant. We, you were used to time as being just a series of moments, but time is a dimension like space. It can be distorted by gravity, by motion, by other things. That was the breakthrough, the real conceptual breakthrough Einstein made that time is a thing, not just the passage of, of seconds. Yeah. And you've written about it before. And I think it's kind of, it's very lyrical and beautiful, but you said astronomy really is almost like looking backwards in time more than a science of what you're actually looking at and observing. Yeah. We um, see this, this black hole as it was 26,000 years ago. Wow. That's that, that makes my head hurt. I'm glad there's <laughs> smart people like you to explain these things to me. Dr. Michael Siegel, uh, astronomer. See, I went through a whole interview with that without calling it astrology. I'm very proud of myself. Usually I slip up at least once. Um, <laughs> you do great work, sir. He's so legit that when we first started recording, he said, hold on a second. I got to send a command of the spacecraft real quick. He's that good. Uh, talking a little politics today, which is a little different. You do great work. Tell folks where they can find your writing and follow you on social media. My friend, as the street continues as the most vested and saw and seen and heard of the herd tell guests uh you just go to uh, www.ordinary-times.com i write there uh, usually at least once a week with throughput which is on science occasionally about uh, politics and from there you can find me on twitter and other places and uh of course always a pleasure to be here yeah, and you're the absolute best, my friend. Everything he does at Ordinary Times is fantastic. Read his stuff. Make sure you check out his YouTube channel because he reviews uh, movies for science fiction purposes. If they're scientifically accurate, does great work. Michael Siegel, my friend, uh, great work on the griddle on the Twitter Supper Club, by the way. I've been watching that. Uh, talk again soon, my friend. All right, no problem. Thank you, sir. conversation with our friend Michael Siegel, we mentioned that the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, John Fetterman, who's also a U.S. Senate candidate, probably going to win his primary, uh, suffered a stroke over the weekend. Looks like he's going to be okay. They were able to use the clot buster drugs and rapidly intervene with him. Seems like he's going to be okay. That wasn't the only stroke related news. Um, Senator Chris Van Hollen, a Democrat from Maryland, announced Sunday that he had suffered a mild stroke. This is from our friends at Punchbowl News that does such excellent work. Please sign up for their newsletter keeps you up to date in a very good way. Van Holen said he hopes to be back in the Senate later this week. Uh, in a full statement from his office, he said, this weekend I was admitted to George Washington University Hospital after experiencing lightheadedness and acute neck pain at the recommendation of the attending physician I saw medical treatment. Earlier today, an angiogram indicated that I experienced a minor stroke in the form of a small venous tear in the back of my head. Fortunately, I've been informed there is no long-term effects or damage. My doctors have advised out of abundance of caution, I remain under observation for a few days. I look forward to returning to work in the Senate later this week and thank the medical team. The 63-year-old Van Hollen is the second Senate Democrat to suffer a stroke this year. 
Senator Ben Ray Lugin, the Democrat from New Mexico, had a stroke on January 27th, but also rapidly recovered. Uh, we're all human despite the politics. Strokes are scary, scary things. One little blood vessel gets out of whack for just a second, can affect your very life and or end it. We are glad all three of these men appear to be recovering. If you don't know the signs of stroke, the FACE acronym, uh, please learn them. If you see anybody that is in obvious distress, either with impairments, they suddenly can't move, they have facial tics, they have trouble with their speech, or they seem disoriented, get them to doctors immediately. There's a lot of technology now. If they intervene quickly, these strokes can be treated very effectively. It's no game. It's more than politics. We're glad everybody's well and happy. Take care of yourselves and your loved ones, folks. Way more important than any cultural politic issue that we all live happily and healthily as possible. More Herd Tell right after this. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Hi, welcome back to Hertel. You know, we try to end on a uplifting or happy note. We're going to talk about this Buffalo uh, massacre where these people were tragically murdered by a hate-filled individual a lot. But underneath that tragedy, as usual, as we see over and over again in these communities, the community's rising up and good things are happening. So let's end on a good story out of Buffalo, even amongst the tragedy. Uh, this is from WGRZ.com. That's TV2 up there. Uh, the city of good neighbors is coming together following a tragic shooting at a Jefferson Avenue tops at a press conference. Mary Byron Brown announced a new community donations coming in West hair automotive group committed to over $300,000 for grief counseling and other services for relatives and victims. Zephyr and cross country mortgage has committed $50,000 a piece for funeral costs. Information about how to get those funds is in this piece. If you're uh, in that area and need that. Many people walk to the tops at the Jefferson Avenue or take public transit to get there. So the Buffalo Community Fridge stepped in to help people because there's no word on when the store might reopen. Uh, obviously, it's also a crime scene on top of everything else. Uh, they stock their fridges with food for those in need with fresh produce, milk, egg, cheese, water, and juice. That's the Buffalo Community Fridge. It's a food pantry. Feed More Western New York is partnering with the Resource Counseling in Western New York to distribute food donations to council members. Uh, on Mondays uh, for the near future. Distributions will continue 
at the Resource Council of Western New York, uh, Mondays through Sunday, all the way through the 25th, and then they will go from there. Um, community Fridge is no longer accepting monetary donations because of the overwhelming community response. You can still send donations to Feed More Western New York. There's links in these pieces, and this is linked in the show notes. You can click on the link if you want to donate to any of these. As we always say, when you have a mass tragedy like this, donate as close to the source as possible. Try to donate in the community. They know exactly how to get it to folks. You're better off doing that than these national places. Not that there's anything wrong with them. They have massive overheads. They're going to take their cut first. Get it in the community as fast as possible is what we like to do with our money and encourage you to do as well. Uh, people in the Buffalo area, if you're a listener in that area, donating fresh and non-perishable food items can do so at 257 East Ferry Street on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. Uh, they will have volunteers there to help distribute food. Uh, Slow Row Buffalo announced the ride schedule for Monday will now be a food distribution drive that they will continue. Uh, the food group is partnering with African-American Heritage Food Co-op and Lexington Co-op. You can donate. Those are also in the links. Um, Tops announced this is the actual store where the shooting happened, that it will be providing a shuttle service for people to get to a nearby store on Elwood Avenue. Again, this was more of a community where a lot of people walk to the store. It has been described as a food desert and the only place to go. So Tops will be running a shuttle service from the closed store to the open store for anybody that needs it. Uh, good on them. Uh, there is a long list of organizations in this piece. Um, the governor also announced that they are going to be contracting with Uber and Lyft to get some free rides to people in those neighborhoods that need them. Uh, this is all stuff that tells you the quality of this community, that even in this tragedy, as they start the grieving process, that they found ways to keep things going, to get people the food they need, rides they need, donate. If you are of means that you can donate to these people, please go through these links. These links are all to organizations directly in those communities. They know how to get the money to the people that need it the most as quickly as possible. And that's how we want to end Herd Tell today on what we can do, not just shaking our heads at the awfulness of it all. And that'll do it for Herd Tell for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we continue to be amazed by the support you give us. We don't advertise other than just on the social media. So this is all word of mouth that you send out. That's actually where the phrase Herd Tell comes from. It's that word of mouth tradition. Uh, we thank you so very much for the support. We crossed over 20,000 podcasting downloads over the weekend. The Big Talker radio support numbers just talked to TK Turbo and the folks over there. Those numbers are up. The views on the Facebook pages and on the YouTube page are up. Thank you so very much. Make sure you tell a friend. It only costs you a click to let them know about that. All those platforms have share buttons. We'd sure appreciate it. So until we see you again on Hertel, we hope you're well. We hope you're well fed. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow for more Hertel. All the music on Hertel is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Oh, let